Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Scripture reading this morning will be in Luke chapter 16. We'll be reading verses 16 through 18, if you please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 16, beginning in verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a wife divorced from her husband commits adultery. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us as we seek to understand your word today uh, on this topic of divorce and remarriage. We pray that you would give us wisdom and insight as we look into your word give us hearts that are willing to obey and receive uh, what your commands have for us today. Please give me wisdom as I teach on this subject. Uh, give me grace and clarity. Uh, on this very complex subject. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, divorce and remarriage, that's not a hot topic at all to talk about in church, is it? So everybody's paying attention now. I do apologize, by the way, for the heat. Our, our AC is uh, down a little bit, so hopefully you won't fall asleep. But again, we're talking about divorce and remarriage, so nobody's going to fall asleep. Uh, as, a, as a pastor, I occasionally get asked weird questions. Uh, one that I've been asked a couple of times is, if you could change something in the Bible, what would it be? And I'm, I'm never really sure how I'm supposed to answer that question. Uh, but my answer has always been, I wish there were a few more verses on the subject of divorce and remarriage. It's something that pops up a couple of times throughout Scripture, and there's so many questions that are left unanswered. And uh, this is why Christians for centuries have come to all sorts of different conclusions on this subject. When is divorce acceptable? When is remarriage after a divorce acceptable? These are all questions that are difficult to sort out. As is almost always the case, the two extreme ends of the spectrum are clearly wrong. Okay, so some Christians would teach that divorce and remarriage is totally fine. Uh, there's never a problem with it. Okay, well, if you just read our text, obviously that's not the case. There are situations in which divorce and remarriage is sin. The other end of the, the spectrum is Christians who teach that all divorce is wrong, and all remarriage after divorce is always wrong. And that sort of blanket statement really doesn't take into consideration other texts in Scripture on this subject. And so as we seek to understand, according to the Bible, uh, what, what, what should we believe about divorce and remarriage, we need to keep uh, all of Scripture together here, not just take one verse in isolation, not just to say, well, all divorce is wrong, all remarriage is wrong. That's clearly not a, a, a biblical position. Uh, also, it would be wrong to say all divorce and remarriage is totally fine. So let's let's try to uh, work with the variables in all of these equations and, and sort out as as best as we can. When is divorce acceptable for Christians? When is remarriage acceptable? And uh, what are the principles involved in that? Let's begin by reading our text, Luke 16, beginning in verse 16, where Jesus says, "The law and the prophets were until John." Speaking of John the Baptist, since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone forces his way into it. So Jesus is saying in these verses that a dramatic shift took place 
when John the Baptist arrived announcing God's kingdom. Uh, prior to John, the law and the prophets were the rule. That's shorthand, by the way, for the Old Testament. Whenever you see law and prophets, um, that's referring to the way that they had the books arranged in the Old Testament. So the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, uh, the first you know, 39 books of your Bible, were the, you know, the, the, the first covenant of God. Then you've got 400 years of silence in between. Then you have John the Baptist show up. You, know, you turn the page, you're in the New Testament now. Okay, and, and starting with John the Baptist, uh, major, a major shift takes place. Uh, turn the page from Malachi to Matthew, again, about 400 years. John the Baptist, his message is not just for Jews. He's no longer saying to the Jews, you're the only followers of God, and you need to live by these 611 Old Testament commands. Instead, he's preaching, uh, get ready, get baptized. God's kingdom is coming. Uh, the good news of the kingdom, the gospel. And it's the same message that we see Jesus preaching as well. Repent of your sins, believe the good news, and anyone who will, not just Jews, anybody can be forgiven of their sins. Uh, it's not by keeping the Old Testament laws strictly. That's not, that's not it anymore. Uh, it's by repentance and faith in Jesus. So become a follower of Jesus, and you can be a part of his kingdom. That's the message of John the Baptist continued on by Jesus. And so this message of the kingdom meant an end of the old era. The Old Testament was fading away, and this new period of God's kingdom on earth was beginning. There were many differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, for one thing, again, New Testament Christians are not only Jews. It's not that God's people is restricted to that one uh, group anymore. Instead, in the New Covenant, we have people from every tribe and nation on the planet that will be a part of God's kingdom. And so some of the Jews saw this new message of Jesus as essentially throwing out the Old Testament. Uh, they looked at Jesus, they heard his message and said, well, this guy is saying uh, the Old Testament's bad. Uh, he, he's overturning all of that. And Jesus says, no, I, I'm not throwing out the Old Testament. I'm fulfilling it. And that's why he goes on to explain in the next, next verse. He, he said, uh, the law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Since then, the kingdom of God is being preached. And in verse 17, he immediately clarifies, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Okay, so in this new era, with the ending of the Old Covenant, that doesn't mean the law is irrelevant. That doesn't mean the Old Testament books are just thrown out. They don't apply to us at all. Uh, listen to how Jesus explains this in another place, Matthew 5. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot of, uh, I'm sorry, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, whoever does the commandments and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus comes, he's preaching the kingdom of God, the end of the old covenant, but he doesn't abolish the law and the prophets. He doesn't say the old Testament, oh, that's garbage. You don't need that anymore. Instead, he says, I fulfill them. Uh, Jesus is what the old Testament types and shadows were pointing towards his death on the cross and in the place of guilty sinners. That was the whole point of the sacrificial system throughout the old Testament. You read in uh, the book of Leviticus, for example, 
uh, all of these instructions about taking a lamb and killing the lamb on the altar. What is all of that? You know, what's going on there? Well, in the New Testament, it's explained. Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so that was all pointing towards what Christ would do when he came on the cross. And so those, those parts of the law, those ceremonial uh, things that we read in the Old Testament, we think, well, that's kind of weird that Jews would do all of these you know, little offerings and things. All of that has been not thrown away, fulfilled. It's been completed in Christ. And so he says, in light of that, don't think that I'm here to relax the commands of the Old Testament. Here, I think he's speaking more specifically about the moral instructions of, uh, of the Old Testament, things like the Ten Commandments, right? Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie, those types of things. He's saying, I'm not here to, to throw away the moral commands of the Old Covenant. And this is what some New Testament Christians sort of think, that, that because we're in the New Covenant, we can just live however we want. We're under grace now. No, the, the costs of discipleship to Jesus are high. And Jesus' teachings, in fact, call us to a higher degree of holiness than the Old Testament law. Uh, just keep reading in Matthew 5, the very next verse says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay, so the Old Testament says, uh, Don't murder. One of the Ten Commandments, that's a famous one, right? Jesus, he doesn't come and do away with that law. In fact, he pushes that standard higher. Verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So uh, in essence, he's saying there, even if you don't commit murder, if you don't commit that act, but you're hating someone in your heart, you violated the spirit of that law, right? Because what's the difference between uh, hating someone and murdering them? a good opportunity, right? <laughs> That's the difference. In your heart, you'd love to murder them. And so he's saying, if in your heart you have hatred towards someone, then you've essentially broken the law of don't murder, even if you never commit that act. Verse 27, a similar principle. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so the Old Testament command says, uh, don't commit adultery. Be faithful to your, to your marriage vows. Jesus says, if you lust after someone that you're not married to, you've already broken that law. You may not commit the act, but in your heart, you've already done it. And so Jesus doesn't come disregarding the Old Testament commands. He actually pushes those standards even higher. And he does the same thing in verse 31 with divorce and remarriage. It was also said, he says, whoever divorces his wife... Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now we're going to come back to these verses in a few minutes. But I just want you to see the connection in our text uh, to the issue of divorce and remarriage. Because if you read in Luke 16, uh, that one verse about divorce and remarriage seems really out of place. Like, what is that doing there? Well, he's making the, the point, I didn't come to throw out the law. I came, in fact, to push the standard of the law higher. I'm not saying uh, because we're under grace now, you can live however you want. Uh, no, the costs of following Christ, uh, the, the demands of holiness are higher than even the old covenant law. Okay, so let's jump back now uh, to verse 15 of our text. This is what we started. We saw this actually last week, but it helps set up the rest. Luke, 15, uh, Luke 16, verse 15. He said to them, talking to the Pharisees, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So that's the point of all of this. 
Uh, the Pharisees were outwardly religious. They kept the external laws of the Old Testament. But God wasn't just interested in one's outward actions because he sees the heart. He sees right through that uh, to, the, to the intents of your heart. And so the, the Pharisees uh, never committed adultery. Oh, they'd never do that. But they would divorce their wife and the next day marry somebody else, which maybe technically isn't adultery, right? Because you're no longer married, but it might as well be. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If you do that, if you, if you find this little loophole around the law, it's no different than just breaking the command of, of committing adultery. That's the, that's the context of these, uh, of these words in Luke 16. He's saying the Pharisees, you know, that they wouldn't commit murder, but they would hate someone in their heart. Uh, they wouldn't commit adultery, but they would lust. And so they would violate the spirit of the law, even if they kept the outward, external uh, form of the law. Verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. So in the kingdom of God, the heart is the issue, not just the works. Again, you can keep all of the laws externally without loving God at all in your heart. You may never commit adultery, but you'll lust in your heart. You may never murder, but you might want to in your mind as you hate someone. And Jesus said, I'm not here to make the commands of God void. I'm not here to say the Old Testament doesn't matter. Instead, I'm here to say not only keep the commandments, but keep the spirit of the commandments. Have the heart behind the actions. So now we're ready to look at verse 18. Jesus says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Uh, this is one example of the external keeping of the law by the Pharisees. As I mentioned again, they would never commit adultery. That was sin. Okay? But they had no problem divorcing your wife for some dumb reason, turning right around and marrying somebody else, which technically might not be adultery, but it might as well be. The only difference really is paperwork being filled out. Uh, so the point of our text is to say to the Pharisees, God sees through that. He sees your sinful heart. You're lusting after a woman, and instead of cheating on your spouse, you're getting a quick divorce and marrying them and, and acting like that's okay. God says, no, that doesn't solve anything. You violated the law. Now, that's the point of our text. I hope that's clear. Uh, God cares about our hearts, not just our outward actions. And now let's talk more specifically about divorce and remarriage, right? Because this is a, a hot topic. Everybody wants to, I mean, almost probably everybody in this room has either has been affected by divorce in some way. Either you, you've been divorced, your parents have been divorced, all of us have been touched by this. Uh, I think in America right now, over 50% of marriages end in divorce. So this is something we all deal with. And so let's talk about uh, what does the Bible teach on this subject? As you might expect, the biblical view of marriage and divorce is very different than the modern American view. Our culture today views marriage itself as an unnecessary formality. And if you do get married, divorce is considered a, a very likely option. We even, at some marriages, we even have uh, prenuptial agreements. They're becoming more and more popular. Where basically, you plan how your divorce is going to go from the very beginning of your marriage. That's how common this is. And so we need to set aside the way that the world looks at divorce and ask ourselves, what does God think about it? Let's start at the very beginning. Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a, him a helper fit for him. This is talking about Adam in the garden. He's all alone. God says, I want to make him a wife. And so verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. 
The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on, upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its, its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, notice in that last statement, God is not talking about Adam and Eve, uh, because Adam and Eve did not have a father and mother. So, so when he says a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, this is a general principle going forward, that this is the way God wants uh, human sexuality and marriage to be designed. God is saying, from now on, I want this to be how the human race is perpetuated, how the earth is populated. One woman and one man together for life. That's God's design. Now, cultures have deviated from that design, and they do so in direct violation to God. In our day and age, of course, the common violation of this is homosexuality, where instead of one woman and one man, you've got two women or two men. In the past, there were other deviations from God's design, such as polygamy where you have one man and five women. Of course, in some parts of the world, that still goes on today. Uh, all of these are deviations from God's design. God's plan from the beginning was one man, one woman, covenanting together in marriage for life. Now, another common deviation from this is the issue of divorce. Again, you've heard the statistics, 50% of marriages in the U.S. end in divorce. And in the church, the number is actually higher than that. Uh, mainly because in the world, a lot of people just live together and never get married. In the church, people tend to get married more. And so the numbers are a little bit different. But uh, suffice it to say, this is as much a problem within the church as it is without. Divorce is incredibly common. Uh, as we approach this subject today, I, I hope your heart will be open to learn, to be instructed by what God has to say about divorce and remarriage. Uh, because things just go better when we follow God's ways. Cultures are better that follow God's principles. Uh, children grow up better when they're taught God's commands. God doesn't give instructions because he's just being harsh and strict. No, his guidelines are for our own good. And so let's find out what he says about divorce, beginning with Deuteronomy 24. This is uh, really the only place in the Old Testament in the law where instructions about divorce are given. And so if you're a Jew living prior to the New Testament being written, uh, this was the only scripture you had on the subject. And so this is what the Pharisees and the Jews would have pointed to as uh, the rules, if you will, about divorce and remarriage. Deuteronomy 24, beginning in verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. You shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Is that clear? I don't think so. Uh, so, a few things to take note of in these verses. First, this really isn't telling you when you should and shouldn't get a divorce. It just says, if you divorce your wife, you can't remarry her again if she's been somebody else's wife in between. 
Okay, and in case you're wondering why does that law even exist, this is probably uh, a protection for women against husbands who basically give their wives in prostitution, which was common in that day, and in some Muslim cultures, in fact, it still goes on to this day. And so they would basically sell their wives as prostitutes for a period of time, take them back as their wife. God says you can't do that. So that's probably what this law is in response to. But back to verse 1, uh, this is a very important phrase here. It says that if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and that's what leads to him writing the certificate of divorce. That's pretty vague language, and uh, there has been debate for centuries about what that means. Uh, is this some incident of, uh, when it talks about indecency in her, is this infidelity? Is this marital unfaithfulness? Is that why there's adultery, or I'm sorry, uh, divorce taking place here? Or does he just not like her? Uh, the text really doesn't say. I think that's partly, again, because that isn't the point. The point of this text is about remarrying the person after they've been married to somebody else. This isn't telling you when it's okay to get a divorce and when it isn't. But the Jews had come up with an answer to this question based upon this verse. Uh, Rabbi Hillel, one of the most famous rabbis in Jewish history, he had decided that basically this text gives a man the right to divorce his wife for any reason. Some examples that he gives are things like if she burns his food. Uh, if she puts too much salt on his food, if she breaks a dish. Uh, another rabbi came along later and said that since verse 1 says she found no favor in his eyes, that means you can divorce your wife if you find someone prettier. Uh, basically, if you just don't want to be married to your wife anymore, go ahead and divorce her. That became the prominent view among the Jews. They said, basically, it's totally fine to divorce your wife whenever you feel like and marry someone else. So long as you fill out the paperwork and get the certificate, you're good. Along comes Jesus, and he completely disrupts that whole idea. Uh, Mark 10, verse 2, the Pharisees come up in order to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So you see the, the idea they have, if you want to get a divorce, just write the certificate, you can get your divorce. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So we learn a very important principle here. God's design from the beginning of creation was one man, one woman for life. Divorce was because of the hardness of their hearts. It was never God's intention. It's never God's ideal. Verse 10. In the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. They had a few more questions. Uh, verse 11, he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, if you just read that one text, uh, this seems pretty black and white. You should never divorce your spouse. It's not what God designed. If you're married, you should stay married. If you divorce and marry somebody else, that's sin. Seems like there's no instance here in which divorce or remarriage is a possible, uh, possibly acceptable. But I don't think that's the point Jesus is making here. He is instead attacking the common idea of the day, which said, if your wife burned your food or you found somebody prettier, go ahead and divorce her and jump into a different marriage. Jesus is saying that's adultery. If you divorce your spouse in order to just marry someone else, you might as well have just cheated on them because that's in essence what you're doing. And so I think there are times when divorce is permissible. It's never God's design for marriage, but there are instances where because of sin, Christians can divorce 
and not be violating God's commands. Again, if you just read this one text in isolation from the rest of Scripture, you might not see that. But let's look at Matthew 5. Uh, Matthew 5, Jesus says something very similar about divorce and remarriage, but he adds an important exception. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, so again, divorce and remarriage is said to be the same as committing adultery. If you just jump out of a marriage, jump into another one, that's, that's cheating on your spouse, regardless of if you fill out a certificate of divorce. But Jesus gives us an exception here. Except on the ground of sexual immorality. Okay, so it's, it's wrong to divorce and remarry, except in the case where sexual unfaithfulness is the grounds for the divorce. So if the husband cheats on the wife, uh, the wife then has the right to divorce and remarry someone else. And this makes sense, because if the spouse has been unfaithful, the marriage covenant has already been broken. And so here's what we've got so far. First, God takes marriage seriously. Uh, what God has joined together, no man should separate divorce, is not God's design for marriage. The ideal should be one man with one woman for life. That's the goal every marriage should strive for. But there are times when divorce is acceptable, such as uh, marital unfaithfulness. Not talking about burning your food or something stupid, okay, but actual infidelity. In that instance, divorce and remarriage is clearly acceptable according to Jesus. Let's look at another place where Jesus talks about the subject, Matthew 19. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And there you see exactly what they're talking about, Rabbi Hillel's view. Uh, is this true that we can just get a divorce for whatever reason? And Jesus says in verse 4, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So again, Jesus starts his answer by saying, This is not God's design. Before he gets to, Is this ever okay? He says, This is not the ideal. This is not what God intended for marriage. Verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. So again, not God's intention from the beginning. This is not ideal, but there are cases in which this is allowable. From the beginning, it was not so. Verse 9, as I, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Very similar to what was said before. God's design is that a couple get married and stay married for life. And that's the main point Jesus is emphasizing in these verses. But of all the reasons people get divorced, here is one reason that is always sin. Because you found someone else. If you are getting divorced because you want to marry someone else, that is what Jesus is talking about here. That is committing adultery. Verse 10, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Uh, they're saying, man, if I'm stuck with her forever, maybe I should rethink this. Uh, verse 11, he says to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it's given. So he doesn't correct their statement. Uh, he says, yeah, you understand now, take marriage seriously. You should not enter into a marriage unless you are ready to commit the rest of your life to be with that person. And these strong words on divorce and remarriage should cause Christians to take marriage very seriously. Uh, we should feel the weight of this commitment and really mean it when we say, I do. Now, we've, we've already seen divorce in order to marry somebody else, that's sin. That's what Jesus is calling adultery here. 
And I hope that makes sense. If you see somebody and you say, oh, I, I just want to be with them and not my spouse, and so you go get a divorce and marry them, that's no different than being unfaithful. The paperwork doesn't change the spirit behind that. And so that's the main thing that Jesus is, is rebuking here. And the other point he, he says is that divorce is never God's ideal. It is the result of living in a fallen world. As far as when divorce is acceptable or allowable, clearly there's instances of marital unfaithfulness in which divorce is a legitimate option for a follower of Jesus. And so again, many Christians teach that you should never get a divorce. I think that's going too far. Uh, Jesus himself gives an exception and says on the grounds of sexual unfaithfulness, yes, uh, you can get a divorce. Um, now, most Bible-believing Christians agree with that, by the way. That's the general kind of view, is if there's unfaithfulness in the marriage, divorce is, is totally acceptable at that point. But if, if all you ever read in the Bible was what we've seen so far in Matthew and Mark, you might think that's the case. That's the only exception. Uh, but we have to remember, Jesus isn't really trying to give us a list of all of the acceptable reasons for divorce here. He's specifically answering the question, can I jump out of marriage and into another marriage for whatever reason? And he says, no, emphatically, that is sin. So he doesn't give us every possible scenario in these verses in which divorce might be okay. In the Luke passage, he gives zero exceptions. He just says, if you divorce and remarry, it's, it's wrong. But we know there's at least one exception because he gives it in Matthew and Mark. So we should not look at these texts and assume that they are giving us all of the situations in which divorce is okay. That's not the point Jesus is making. His point clearly is, don't divorce because you want to marry someone else. Don't divorce your spouse and jump into a marriage with somebody else and think that that's somehow different than adultery. It's the same thing regardless of the technicality. Okay, so he's, he's again addressing this supposed loophole around the adultery commandment that the Jews had come up with. So there are times when divorce is permissible for Christians. Jesus says if adultery is taking place, that's grounds for divorce and remarriage. Let's look at now 1 Corinthians 7, and we'll find another acceptable uh, situation. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, To the married, Paul says, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. Uh, by the way, when he says that, he's saying, uh, this is my, my, my teaching, I didn't get this from Jesus, right? Because Jesus taught on divorce and remarriage. And so there's a couple of places where Paul adds, uh, basically saying, I'm saying this, and then other times where he says, I'm, I'm quoting Jesus. So, verse 10, to the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. Jesus said this, uh, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And if the husband, I'm sorry, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Okay, so the general principle, don't divorce. But if you've already divorced, Paul says, don't remarry, unless you will be reconciled to your previous husband. Verse 12, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Okay, so if a Christian has a wife who is not a Christian and she's okay to stay married, then Paul says stay married. Verse 13, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So in this situation where you have one spouse that becomes a Christian and the other does not, Paul says if the unbelieving spouse is willing to stay married to you, then, then stay married. Verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. Oh, so here's another acceptable place for divorce. If you've got uh, somebody who's a Christian, somebody who's a non-Christian, and you're in a marriage together, obviously that can cause problems. I mean, think of just practical things. Are you going to go to church? 
Uh, your husband's going to be like, what are you doing? Come out. We're going to hang out this weekend. You know, there's all sorts of issues there. How are we going to raise our kids? So many problems that come up when you have uh, one spouse who's a Christian and one spouse who's not. And so uh, Paul says in those situations, uh, basically, if the unbelieving spouse says, you know, I don't, I don't want to stay in this marriage, Paul says, let him go. That's an acceptable reason to divorce. Notice the rest of the verse. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. So you're not bound to that marriage. And notice the wording there, in such cases. He doesn't say in this case, he says in such cases. Meaning there may be other exceptions that aren't listed here. He's saying in, in certain situations, uh, there may be exceptions to the no divorce rule. One that comes immediately to my mind is abusive relationships. I mean, surely if Paul says there's an exception to the no divorce principle, if you're a Christian living with an unsaved spouse, it must be permissible for Christians to divorce that have abusive spouses. That seems to be very much in line with Paul's thinking here, a similar case. And so again, some Christians would teach if you're in an abusive relationship, you just need to stay there and commit. I don't think that's, that's right. I think the Bible does give some freedom there um, to where in, in certain situations, and, and of course all divorces are messy situations, every situation is different. But there are clearly... Uh, the language allows in these passages for some room for wisdom to say, you know, I, I think in this scenario, divorce may be warranted. Now, in this case that Paul's mentioned, where you've got an unbelieving spouse and a believing spouse, and, and the one says, you know, I'm, I'm not willing to stay in this marriage, so they, they split up. Paul says, that's okay, but don't remarry. Okay, again, Paul had said in the previous verses, if you divorce, don't remarry unless you will be reconciled to your your previous spouse, because the hope is that God may save your previous spouse, and then the two of you can be remarried again. And so Paul says, stay single so that God can allow that possibility of reconciliation to take place. Okay, so let's put this all together, what we've seen so far. If your spouse has been unfaithful, uh, that is grounds for divorce and remarriage. I believe that's totally acceptable in that scenario. The covenant's already been broken by their, their immorality, so you're free to enter into a new marriage covenant with someone else. If your spouse is not a believer and they want to divorce, that's also an acceptable reason for divorce. But Paul says you should not remarry someone else in that situation. You should remain single so that there is a possibility of reconciliation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. And in the context here, I think this is talking about a husband and wife who have separated because the one is a Christian and the one is not. Okay, so now we've got another layer to this complex situation. Okay, you've divorced in an acceptable manner because one of you is a Christian, one isn't. Paul says, if your spouse dies, well, now you're free to remarry. And that's in keeping with the principle, right? The idea is reconciliation. Uh, remain, remain unmarried so that hopefully God, <clears throat> God can bring you back together again. But if they die, well, obviously that's not going to happen now. And so you're free to remarry. Uh, all right, Romans 7, verse 2. <clears throat> By the way, notice, <clears throat> sorry, 1 Corinthians 7, 39, the end of that verse, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Paul says, if they die, you're free to remarry only in the Lord. He says, please don't get back in a relationship with a non-Christian and go through the cycle again. Uh, marry somebody who's, who's a Christian so that this doesn't become another problem. Okay, so verse, uh, sorry, Romans 7, verse 2, similar thing is said there. A married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Okay, so clearly, if a previous spouse passes away, 
the marriage is now open, you are able to remarry. Verse 3, accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So the same thing as 1 Corinthians 7. As you can see, uh, this is all very complicated. There is not a simple answer to the question, is it okay to divorce? Is it okay to remarry? The answer really depends on the situation. And I'm not certain that we have all of the possible situations covered in these passages. Uh, what we've looked at today is really everything that the Bible teaches on divorce and remarriage. And I don't know about you, but I still have a lot of questions. Uh, what about this situation? What about this? Uh, for, for instance, one of the questions I have, if you divorced your, your spouse 30 years before you became a Christian, are you still bound uh, by that law that you can't remarry? What if they remarry? Are you then able to, to free to do the same? Isn't the covenant then broken anyways? And so reconciliation is impossible if they remarry, so shouldn't you be able to remarry? Uh, these are questions that I have, and frankly, I don't see clear answers in these texts to these and several other questions. So in the end, though I know this may be frustrating, I cannot answer all of the questions on the subject, uh, but here is a summary of what we've seen today from Scripture. Number one, God's design from the beginning is one woman and one man together for life. That is the ideal. God takes marriage seriously, and we should too. Christians should not enter into marriage lightly, and Christians should not exit marriage lightly either. <clears throat> this idea that you can just divorce your spouse because you found somebody prettier or she burned your food is ridiculous. That whole concept is so far from what God intended marriage to be. Divorce should be a last resort, and it should not be done flippantly. Uh, point two, God came up with marriage. God also came up with divorce. It's not ideal, and we do it way too much as a society when there's not always grounds for it. We just grow tired of the person or we find somebody else. But there are situations in which divorce is allowed by God. It's because of the sinfulness of men that this even exists, but there are times where it is sadly necessary. Okay, so let's get rid of the stigma around the subject as though divorce is the unpardonable sin. Divorce happens. And you should never look down on somebody who's been divorced, especially since you don't know all of the details of that situation. Uh, number three, on the subject of remarriage, uh, this is, to me, the more complex subject. And here's what I gather from Scripture. Uh, first, divorced people renewing their marriage is a beautiful picture of forgiveness and reconciliation. It is a wonderful thing when Christians reconcile with one another. And one of the ways that that happens is when divorced spouses recommit to each other. Certainly that's not always required, but if it's possible, that's a great thing. Uh, secondly, on the, on the issue of remarriage, if your previous spouse has passed away, you're free to remarry. I think that's crystal clear in Paul's epistles. Uh, next, if your previous spouse is still alive, uh, frankly, I'm not sure if you should remarry. Uh, there are some instances in which the Bible clearly says it's okay, such as marital unfaithfulness. Even if they're alive, you're free to remarry. Other cases apparently are not okay. And since I don't see clear guidelines in Scripture about when it's okay and when it isn't, I don't have any authority to make those up. You need to search your own heart, seek guidance from the Holy Spirit in your situation. <clears throat> Lastly on this, I think the main point Jesus is rebuking here, and what he calls adultery, is when someone divorces in order to marry someone else. In other words, <clears throat> another person should never be the reason that you divorce your spouse. That is adultery, and that's what Jesus is getting at here. The Pharisees were sticklers for the letter of the law. 
while disregarding the intent of the law. And so they, they thought they found this loophole around adultery. They could just divorce their spouse, marry someone else the next day, and it was all, it was all fine. Uh, not technically adultery, but that's what Jesus is rebuking. He's saying, if you divorce your spouse so that you can turn around and marry another woman, you think that's acceptable to God because you, you, you wrote out the certificate. You've missed the whole point. God knows your heart, and what you just did is nothing less than adultery. Let me close with some instructions and some, uh, just a few thoughts for each of us to uh, take to heart. First of all, I want to say a few things to those of you who have been divorced. Uh, maybe you've even been remarried. Maybe you handled it properly and maybe you didn't. Uh, maybe today is the first time you're realizing that what you did might have been wrong. I want to say to you, if you've repented and placed your faith in Jesus, I want to tell you three things. Number one, you are forgiven. Number two, you are forgiven. Number three, you are forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for all of your sins. When you turned from sin and embraced Jesus as your Lord, he took all of your sins and he gave you his righteousness. When God looks at you, he, he sees the righteous and perfect life that Jesus lived on your behalf. So don't let mistakes in your past make you feel like a second-class Christian. What's done is done. Move on and live in the forgiveness and acceptance of your Heavenly Father. Satan wants you to dwell in the past and feel guilty. God wants you to understand your forgiveness and look to the future as you follow Jesus from this day forward. Uh, asking questions such as, should I have gotten divorced? Should I have gotten remarried? Those are really unhelpful questions at this point. Maybe you did the right thing, maybe you didn't. Maybe you weren't even a Christian at the time. The question we should be asking is, what does God want me to do going forward? And so let's do that now. Let's talk about implications for each one of us because of what we studied today. First of all, if you're single, I've said this multiple times, do not enter into marriage lightly. If you're not ready to commit to that person for the remainder of your life, don't get married yet. I am convinced that one of the main reasons people get divorced is they jumped into marriage too flippantly. It's not always the case, but many times it is. And so the instruction for single people from Christ is, make sure you really mean till death do us part before you say I do. Number two, if you are married, stay married. <clears throat> Malachi 2.16 says, God hates divorce. Uh, divorce is not God's plan. It is messy. It is sad. It complicates life. In some cases, it may be necessary, but far too often Christians quit on their marriage when hard times come. If you're married, work hard to keep your marriage healthy. Stick together through difficult seasons of life. Love each other, learn each other, stay committed to each other. I think sometimes we get so caught up in uh, asking about all of the exceptions about divorce that we just kind of disregard the rule, right? The principle is don't divorce. Uh, yes, there are exceptions to that, but let's not emphasize those exceptions and forget what Jesus emphasized. From the beginning, this was not God's ideal. And so God's intention is one man, one woman for life. Don't divorce. That's the rule. There are exceptions to that rule that are just kind of mentioned in passing by Jesus. And in some texts like Luke 16, he doesn't even mention it because he's, not, he's emphasizing the point that divorce is not ideal. And if you're married, you should work hard to stay married. So to married people, be patient in your, married, in your marriage. If your spouse isn't a Christian, but they are content to live with you, be patient. You may win them over to Christ by your godly example. If your spouse is a Christian and things are just not going well with your marriage, again, be patient. Marriage should be mutually sanctifying if you're both followers of Jesus. You ought to be making each other better Christians. 
Uh, I am so blessed to have a wife like Catherine that pushes me to grow spiritually and to live out my faith more consistently. Uh, she'll probably tell me on the way home today that I was being too harsh, and uh, I'm sure I'll need to hear it. So that sort of relationship of mutual, mutually pushing each other to follow Christ better is very healthy. And so it may be that your marriage is very hard right now, and maybe 20 years from now your marriage is going to be great. So don't quit on it too early. Number three, if you're married, <clears throat> keep your eyes on your spouse. This is really the main point Jesus is making. Make sure that your spouse has all of your heart. Husbands, don't let yourself lust after another woman. Wives, don't let yourself fantasize about another man. Don't allow those relationships at work to become too close. Guard your marriage. If you end up divorcing your spouse, don't let it be because there was another woman or another man that you had your eye on. That is adultery, Jesus says, regardless of the, of the paperwork. Number four, if you've been divorced and remarried, this will be the last question I'll try to address. I know there's a lot of complexities in these things. You might be wondering if this means your current marriage isn't legitimate, so you should get out of it. That's a common question people have when they hear this teaching of Jesus. If divorcing in order to marry somebody else is adultery, does that mean that every day that I'm, I'm in the second or third marriage that I'm living in sin and I should get out of that relationship? Uh, no. <laughs> You don't fix a past sin by committing another sin. If you've been divorced and remarried, you cannot unscramble that egg. If you want biblical proof of that, I would direct you to John 4, where Jesus uh, meets a woman, and, and he says she had been married five times. She had had five husbands, but the person she was living with currently wasn't her husband. Okay, so the previous men, she had all been legitimately married to. They had all been her husband. No doubt it was wrong for her to keep divorcing and remarrying, and she seems to be a very promiscuous woman. But this relationship she was in now, Jesus says, that's not marriage. You're just living together. So the point there is, if you've been divorced, you're on your second, third, fourth marriage, don't leave that marriage. Stay with whoever you're married to now. And by the way, that woman in John 4 was saved by Jesus and forgiven. Jesus offered her living water and said that if she would accept him, she would be completely satisfied. He offered forgiveness and new life to this woman who had been divorced and remarried five times and was currently living in yet another sinful relationship. Such is the grace and mercy of our God. And so if you've been divorced and remarriage, uh, remarried, <clears throat> stay committed to the spouse you're with now and rest in the forgiveness of God. Marriage is the first institution that God established. Right on the first page of Genesis, it is a sacred uh, picture of Christ's love for the church. It is the ideal environment for children to be raised, and it is a testimony to the world of what Christian love and commitment looks like, and we ought to take it very seriously. Your marriage is more important than your career. Your marriage is more important than any other friendships. Your marriage is the most important relationship in your life, aside from your relationship with Christ. So don't sacrifice your marriage for anything. Don't neglect your spouse for anything or anyone else. And let's show the world what God intended marriage to look like. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.